you permit me, let me be free from the protocol of expressions to people and get right into the word of the Lord. In the book of Ephesians 4, if you would please, I want to read to you several verses, but specifically do I want to bring to your attention one phrase. This will be the most difficult thing I've ever attempted to do in my life. Not because of any feelings of weakness physically, no sir. The Lord God has given me a special energy and I'm so grateful. But I'll tell you why it'll be difficult in just a few minutes. Eleventh verse, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Would you say that with me? Unto a perfect man. Let's say it together. Unto a perfect man. And this is the phrase. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me just read a few more paragraphs here. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Pray with me, please. Our God, Holy God, truly God, precious Jesus, you're so good to us, you brought us together with this great feeling, this praise in our hearts, deep praise, your glory is upon this people. But we need to break through into dimensions of your stature so that the whole world will be affected by our very presence. We believe that you're going to help us tonight. We're struggling human beings looking to you as the author and finisher of our faith. But we know because of you we're going to be a people that will be blessed and sent forth into a world to help them that are hurting, wounded, and broken. We thank you for this privilege of bringing your precious message and trust that you'll assist us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. They be seated.
When I was a teenager, my dad handed me a book to read entitled In His Steps. This book was written by Charles Sheldon, and the impact on my life was so powerful that to this day I have not forgotten it. I don't know how many of you have ever read that book. But if you read it, you understand that the substance of the book is simply this. It had an amazing but ingenious way of bringing to your attention what Jesus would do under circumstances that you and I face. What would Jesus do? And I'll never forget reading the book. Uh, sometimes things of that nature to a teenager are not very serious. But it left a deep impact on my life because it told about people who got into problems, trouble, serious situations, and then they'd think, now what would Jesus do? And they'd do it the Jesus way. I was deeply impressed. I talked to my dad a long time about it. I said, you know, can we live that kind of life so that tonight when I preach to you, my message is this. Let's take another look at Jesus. Let's take another look at him. No, I'm not going to preach on the theological wonderments of God in Christ. That mystery of godliness is sensationally, indescribably a revelation of majestic proportions. But we have come to a point, even in our own movement, where in scholarly fashion, our brethren can scripturally defend this great truth and persuasively write about it. And I am thrilled when I pick up the writings of our brethren and they have probed the depths of the beauty of the oneness of God in Christ. And when they can prove to a Trinitarian world that he's not three, but he is one. That is a thrilling message. Jesus Christ is called the wisdom and the power and the righteousness of God. But there's more to him than just this Godhead realism. I've been sick twice in my life. The first time I was told I was going to die. But thanks be to God, he reached his wonderful healing hand down. And he healed me when I was 19 years of age. And then called me to preach the gospel. Just recently, really not knowing that the possibility was that I would be facing severe surgery. I never dreamed that I had uh, any kind of a situation existing that was existing. And when doctors told me that the main uh, vein in the heart was 100% closed, which is called the widow maker, they told me, I said to them, what's the prognosis? They said, from one minute to a year to live. I said, you mean I could die right now? They said, yes, you could walk out that door and drop dead. And I said, I don't believe that I would. 
because I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go preach a service that I promised, and I'm also going to marry, I perform a marriage that I promised a young lady a long time ago that I would marry her. And they said, well, you might not come back. I said, I'll be back. I said, you remind me of the times I've preached and said to some sinners, if you walk out that door and don't accept the Lord, you're going to die. I said, I won't be dying. I'll be coming back. And I did come back and have the surgery performed. After the surgery was over, for three days, I've always had good, strong, sturdy health after I was healed from the disease of tuberculosis. I was at the weakest point of my physical being that I'd ever felt, just absolutely drained. When you feel like that, you feel helpless. I felt very helpless. But then the Lord gave me a dream. On the fourth night of my stay in the hospital, this is going to be so hard for me to do. I dreamed of him preaching and reaching people. I woke up weeping. My dream I saw him performing miracles. With a compassionate heart and compassionate hands, he was reaching for everybody that he could touch. I stand here tonight so helpless with this. Paul said he was taken to a third heaven and it was not even lawful for him to tell what he had seen. This human tongue is so unable to explore the mysteries of his compassion. If I could transmit to you what I was watching in my dream, it would absolutely break you into pieces. Because the whole time I watched him ministering and reaching for people, there was a sort of a something hovering over every act that he performed. And it was the fact that he knew he was going to the cross. But he was reaching for everybody he could touch. There was no bitterness in him.
Please excuse me. There wasn't one ounce of hate in him. There was no bias in him. You could tell that he was partial to nobody. I watched him walk by, walk by, pass by the scribes and the Pharisees to touch a man that was dumb and couldn't speak. I watched him stop at the roadside place where Bartimaeus sat. I heard that noise of the people, the misunderstanding of people of the knowledge of his great desire. Tell Bartimaeus to hold his peace. He didn't listen to the people. He reached for that man. He stopped by a blind beggar's wayside place and said, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't listen to the crowd. His was a ministry to all mankind and the crowd didn't persuade him hate to say it tonight we're so persuaded by some who don't want us to reach out and touch others because we're afraid of their scorn we're afraid of our popularity in their eyes but that's not the Jesus ministry I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And somehow in our strange but unusual blessings, God has brought us from such a long way this crowd is a symptom of the greatness of what the Lord has done in individual lives but we like to dwell in areas of egotistical achievement when Almighty God wants us to come in meekness and compassion and concern for a lost humanity. He doesn't want us to be filled with hate. He doesn't want us to be a prejudiced people. He's the creator of all mankind. Nobody is greater in his sight than the next person. You may please him by your actions and receive his favor, but that doesn't make you great. 
that makes you obedient and as I watched this scene unfolding before my eyes in that night time I saw him stand in Pilate's Tribunal Hall I heard the screams the screams of the people crucify him I saw him stand there so sedately unafraid when you have poured your life out on people with the purpose of saving nothing will frighten you he wasn't afraid he stood there serene and peaceful while they taunted him but there he was master of all things and then as I watched him in tribunal hall it was so real that through my own mentality in my dreams all the things that I knew about him the eternal God the everlasting Father the one who was self-existent was standing for a petty politician letting him pronounce a judgment he wasn't affected by it he didn't have any hate in his face he didn't have any hate in his actions he just stood there unafraid perfect love casteth out all fear please bear with me I told my wife I was going to have an awful hard time with this I saw the joy in the faces of the healed people the joy that nobody can bring to a human heart when Bartimaeus was healed the joy in his face was beyond description blind all his life and now he could see and he was looking in every direction and our Lord moved on to the next needy soul everywhere he went he thrust this compassion I felt it in my dream I felt this compassion in my dream I felt it reaching from my heart and not only that but in the midst of all of those things he was mending hearts that had broken dreams healing ears that could not hear healing legs that could not walk taking leprosy from the lepers restoring a child from death to a mother we have the greatness of the knowledge of his miracles and his great display of power and it has enervated us all but we talk about it only historically and we don't ask him please give us that same spirit you have United Pentecostal Church International we will never have the revival that we're seeking until we begin to understand some things about ourselves then I saw him in that scene with his disciples on the last time he supped with him 
and I heard him say, one that dips in the dish with me will betray me. And when he said it, he'd hear the disciples say, is it I, is it I, is it I? They were trying to discover, and the man that was sitting there knew who was going to betray him. He never made any identification of himself, but Jesus knew him but he didn't try to hurt him. He called him friend. Friend, what you do, you go do it quickly. He didn't come to make enemies. Enemies were made because of their poor understanding of who he was. Had they known who he was, had they known who he was, they never would have crucified him. He still poured out that love upon Judas, never was bitter toward him. He knew that when he dipped in the dish with him, the man was planning right then to give him a kiss that would betray him. Friend, what you do, go do it. When we come to the place, and it hit me so strong, when I wake in the next morning, when you brothers can come to the place where you can call everybody friend because you have the love of God in your soul, and you have a desire to do the things that will bring them to God, you've really reached into the fullness of the stature of the man Christ Jesus. When we grow into that stature, there is no failure in that stature. We are not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. We're solidly placed on the solid rock. He knew what Peter was going to do. It was soon after that that Peter tried to cut off the ear of the high priest. He knew what Peter was going to do when he was going to deny him. He even told him about it. I heard him say to him in my dream, you're going to die at me three times. The cock will crow three times and you'll deny me. And I saw the boisterousness and the boastfulness of Peter. Never will I do it. There is so much in us that is so human until we think in our own strength we can do things we can't do. But I tell you what we can do if we ever get to the point where we can acknowledge him in the beauty of his stature and his person with his beautiful spirit. By God in heaven, we're going to touch this world. We're going to touch this world. When you look at him, you have to know that he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Our growth is contingent upon our attitudes. We've grown in number. But our attitudes toward one another are not good. 
I want to repeat to you, he knew what Judas was going to do, but he held his peace, I repeat, permitted this man to work his malicious deception, knowing that Judas was working his own destruction. Just recently, there's been a very strong opposition to Mr. George Bush, President George Bush's son. And Mr. Bush made a statement. He said that their son would be found innocent because the judicial system of America works. And he also said if his name wasn't Bush, he would never be made a public spectacle. Sometimes when your name is attached to somebody of that stature, it puts your children in a bad spot. And this happened. This is happening in this instance. But I know a higher system of retribution. I know a higher system of action. And it belongs to Almighty God. And he tells us, I will avenge all injustice. And he not only says, this vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will repay, saith the Lord. If we are to see the great works of God in our midst, we're going to have to lay down swords. We're going to have to lay down pride. We're going to have to put away hate. We're going to have to throw down threats of going to court and learn the true method of growth, and that is to entreat one another as brethren. We've got the strange idea that growth is success in material things. It is not. We have the same feelings about success is prosperity. More authority, more power in our hands to be used to feed our egos and forget the beautiful areas of forgiveness, compassion, on the hurting, love for the sinner, Concern for those who err from the truth. We can possess our souls in patience, but we've got to grow into the stature of that man, Christ Jesus, to do it. I want to praise him. Would you join me? I praise you. I praise you. I praise you. I praise you. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I woke up in the morning with tears I was so moved and I couldn't realize the fullness of what had taken place but it had been so impacting that the whole day I spent almost in silence and that was because I had a, hardly a visitor that day and I was happy not to have before I came to this convention, I received a letter, a letter. It doesn't make any difference who wrote me the letter. But this lady was awakened in the middle of the night, and she was told to send this to me by her husband. She said, I don't know what you're going to do with it, but this is what the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and made me write on paper. You say you love me but you bite and devour one another. Your lips are full of poison, 
seeking to bring another low so that you might rise. You are worse than the sinner who claims no experience. You are full of dead men's bones, an abomination to the Lord God of Israel, for you have forsaken my way. You fight against my will. You want my blessings, but you do not have it because you fight against my gifts. I give unto you the gifts of the Spirit, and you argue about them instead of seeking for the best gift. You shun my love that would liberate you, a love that is kind and not puffed up. You fight against revival, for my will is that not any should perish, but you make it difficult for people to come to me with your harsh spirits. You do away with Calvary when you deny healing in the atonement, for by my stripes you are healed. You preach a great falling away instead of Joel's message of my spirit being poured upon all mankind. If my people will humble themselves and become as little children, take my word exactly as it is written, I will heal their land and bless them with revival, signs and wonders, for it is my will that none should perish. You talk about prayer and clock in and clock out. Brag about your one or two hours a day. But it's not my desire that you would pray until you check the time clock. But that you'd pray until you see my glory. That you would linger in my presence until my fire is burning brightly inside of you. For it is my will that my name should be glorified right before my coming. For I am coming soon. I didn't expect this letter. I doubt very much if this lady knew anything about what I was being moved upon by God to bring you this night. You know, I, I stand here tonight amazed, amazed at the fact that just a little yielding to one another would bring a revival that never would stop. But we won't do it because we think we're right. Our cause is right. I'm not talking about the total cause of the church. I'm talking about individual cause. My cause is right. Yours is wrong. I'm the man that will demand. He didn't give you that gift of blessing. He didn't bless you, brethren, with what you have, with all that you had, so that you could pour out poison. He gave you all that you had so you could pour out a compassionate love upon a world that's wounded so deep and they don't know where to turn for the kind of love that God wants to put in your heart and my heart. But we stand here with the privilege. And we're not using what God has given to us. I prayed that morning when I woke up, Lord, do this to me again. I wanted another insight. I said, Lord, let me dream again. And he let me dream again. I'm glad he can answer prayer. I said, Lord, let me dream again. And I dreamt again. And I want you to know what I dreamt. 
I dreamt of the first chapter of Revelation. And I want to read it to you because it's so filled with such meaning that the power of it is awesome. And in reading it to you, I want you to note some of the things that are spoken in this book. Things that are filled with powerful meaning. In that first uh, portion, the first chapter of the book of Revelation, you see the Lord God coming with a very important message, a message that you and I need to understand in its fullness. He is telling the people this through John. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst of the seven candlesticks one like unto the Son of Man. Notice where he is, in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Note what he said. He was clothed with a garment down to the foot, gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And the Bible explains that he was in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I had a question asked me the other day, and I, it was a very difficult thing for me to answer because of the personal judgments that we place in our own thinking. One man said to me, should I fellowship a church who has a lesser standard than I have? And when he said it to me, I didn't answer the man because there are some people so forged in their personal judgments that they won't even take time to go and talk to people who have lesser standards. They just pull away from them. But when you get the description of what was in these churches, he was in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Whether or not they were right or wrong he was there but he was teaching them he was there teaching them he said to Ephesus he told Ephesus and I want you to note he said if you don't repent and get back to your first love I will remove 
the candlestick from your midst. The underlining writing was repent. And that was the church of Ephesus. A revival church if there ever was one. But they had lost their first love. And he said, repent or I'll take the candlestick from your midst. I don't want anything ever to happen that he ever takes his presence out of my life. I don't want anything ever to happen that he takes his presence from the United Pentecostal Church. But hear it, my friend. He can be in our midst and he may be calling us to repentance and we're not listening. It's so easy to sit in a meeting like this and hear the great preaching of the gospel of Almighty God and then walk right out and be the same kind of acting people. But old friend, when he gets hold of you with that beautiful spirit of conviction and says, look friend, you need to get back where you loved me like you used to love me and talked about me like you used to talk about me and witness about me like you used to witness about me or if you don't do it I'm coming and taking my presence from you we want his presence friend do you want his presence do you want his presence I want his presence I want his presence we've got to have his presence We've got to have his presence and there needs to be a wholesale repentance amongst us. We can't hate each other. We can't hold swords over men's heads because we think they're not doing what we want them to do. My God avenges those things. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to use a manual to club somebody. God is an avenger of all those who do wrong in his sight. And you and I can sit back and watch him do his work. still in the midst of the candlestick he said to that church at Pergamos actually they had loss of standards you have the doctrine of Balaam the doctrine of Balaam was to teach the young folks of Israel to marry into heathen cultures that's what he taught them he said that's the way you destroy Israel we know that. We understand that. We know that in the New Testament. When you're in the church of the living God, you don't marry somebody that doesn't love God. If you do, you're in trouble. You don't marry somebody that doesn't have an equal spiritual experience. You're in trouble if you do. We know that. We understand that. And somehow in these days, we're backing away a little bit from some of that. He said to that church at Pergamos, I know a lot of good things about you, but you got a bad situation. You let that Balaam doctrine exist. 
And he not only said that, but he said, you have the deeds of the Nicolaites in your midst, which I hate. Now, I've heard people say that the deeds of the Nicolaites has to do with the, the uh, church running the preacher. Nico means chief, and the laity, or the laity is over the chief. That is not what it's referring to. Nicholas was one of the first seven chosen by God to serve the Grecian widows, and somehow he got into areas of unrighteousness and was teaching that it was all right to commit fornication. Well, someone said, you mean Nicholas was teaching that it was all right to commit fornication in regard to the matter of uh, physical fornication? There's other things that are fornication other than physical fornication. The Bible talks about ye adulterers and adulteresses that have turned and loved the world. And in that church at Pergamos, they were moving in the direction of letting the world capture their church. He notes the good points of Pergamos, but he lets them know because they allow these deeds to happen that their shallow, shoddy way of no solid Bible teaching was destroying them and they needed to come back to the truth of Almighty God. I want you to know tonight, young preacher, there is nothing in this world that can add any dimension to your church. There is nothing out there that when you bring it in and practice it can add anything to your church. But if you can get them to love the Lord with all their hearts and get the spirit of compassion flowing in the congregation, it will not only establish them in the way, but it'll give them a strength that will make them fearless and strong against the world. I wish I could recall some things that I've done. I really do. I wish I could go back and recall some things I did as a pastor to some people. I wish I could. But he was still in the midst of the candlesticks. He told the church of Thyatira, he charged Thyatira with the permissiveness of a Jezebel in their midst to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Jezebel is an Old Testament character which everybody understands as a rebellious woman against God and the prophets. And the rebellion in the heart of the church as he stands in the midst of the candlesticks, I could hear him say, you will not submit to my word. You want your own way in spite of what the word says. And dear young preacher, when you throw in the towel and let that happen in your church, you've got a society, you haven't got a church. What did the he three Hebrew children do? They refused to do the eunuch's bidding. If you'll notice, they said, 
don't give us the king's meat and the king's wine. That which is sacrificed to idols. The Jezebel and the spirit that got a hold of the church at Thyatira. That group was in rebellion against God and despiser of the holy God and his prophets. And Almighty God gave them space to repent. But he was still there. But he's saying, I'm giving you space to repent. I want you to read for me, if you will, Brother Kilgore from Revelation 2, 24 through 29, if you will. I want you to listen very carefully to these words. What he tells the people in Thyatira that had not fallen for that. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have known, not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which you have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. I know that you've resisted the Balaam Jezebelic way, and you are doing your best to do what's right. Hold which you have till I come and when I come when I come he's still in the midst of the candlestick he's still in the midst of the church and even though you've got these conditions existing he's looking for a people who say I want no part of that I came out of that and I'm not going back to it I still want this good way of holiness I'm not preaching to you in a coercive way tonight. I'm appealing to you. Our God is an appealing God. He doesn't knock the fire out of you. He doesn't take you and dangle you over hell to get you to do what's right. The Spirit of God is an intriguing spirit. He talks to you in a still, small voice. He preaches to you through the preacher and the Word. And if you haven't got enough sensitivity to the work of the Holy Ghost, you're going to let a whole lot of this thing become a part of you until you are just the same picture of the world around you. The two young people that stood here to sing from Broadway came out of all that. Came out of all that. And yet we've got some folks that want to go into all that. We don't want to go back into all that. He's still in the candlestick and he's trying to tell us, repent. I'll give you a reward that's above any kind of reward you ever have if you just hear what the Spirit. I want to praise him again. I just want to praise him again. 
He's in the midst of the candlesticks and he talks to Sardis. And I was seeing all this in my dream. I was seeing him talking, preaching, tenderly entreating. But his judgments are not tender when they begin to happen. But he tenderly entreats so you won't fall into that judgment. To Sardis. I will come upon you as a thief. You will not know the hour of my coming. You won't be aware of the hour of my coming. It's been said several times here tonight that the Lord is coming soon. I was stopped three times coming to this platform by the media asking me the question, the media the media, the unsaved media saying, do you believe Jesus is coming because of the Gulf crisis? The media. Nobody here has asked me that. But the media has. you think this is the crisis that's going to bring the Lord? Tomorrow's paper is going to be full of what I told the lady today. She came back three times and said, have I got all this right? He went over it and over it and over it again. Could this crisis become that Armageddon? I said, the potential is there. I don't know if this is the crisis that will bring the Armageddon, but it's got a lot of familiar trends. It's got a lot of situations that indicate it could get that way. And I said, when Israel starts entering the fray, which he is now starting to say, Iraq wants to strike at us. That's another indication that armies are gathering around Jerusalem. And the scripture says, no, that the hour of desolation draws nigh. The media is asking me, is this that hour? But you who sit at Pentecostal tables that are filled with good things and you've received it so long, there's a snare out there that's trying to capture your mind and think, no, this is not the hour of his coming. But he has said, when I come, I'll come as a thief in the night. And you won't know the hour of when I'm coming. These people stopped me three times tonight and said, tell us about it. And the Lord is telling Sardis, I'm going to come like a thief and you won't know when I'm coming. Oh, friends, I'm looking for his coming. I didn't come all this way to miss that day. Not to miss that day. Not to miss that day, friends. Didn't come all this way to miss it. I want to be there. He also gives them a claim. He said, there's a few who have not defiled their garments. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. I know where you are in Sardis. I know where you are in United Pentecostal Church that have not defiled yourself. I know who you are. I know what you do. I know what you act like. I know what you are secretly. I know you're rising up and you're coming in and you're going out. I know all about you. And I tell you what, I'm going to do things for those who will hold fast to what they have been taught 
and he has a stray from it. He's in the midst of the golden candlestick. I don't know what you want a fellowship or what you don't want a fellowship, but I know something. I know we need to be taking some younger brethren aside and talking to them about what is important for the success and the preservation of their church because some of the new ideas that have been expanded into some of our movements by charismatic ranks, their lack of respect of authority and everything else that goes with it, and that they can praise God in any kind of a shambles in any kind of a way. I want you to know there's a harlot church and there's a bride. And that harlot church is decked out, but that bride is dressed in fine linen, white linen, which is for the righteousness of the saints. And there's nothing defiling in that church. Now I want to praise him again. He's going to have a church, friend. He is going to have a church. Oh, yes. Philadelphia 3, 6 to 11. I mean Revelation 3, 6 to 11. Praise God. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the oh, Spirit Oh, listen, 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 please. And to the angel of the yes. church in Philadelphia, write. I write. These things says he that is holy. Holy. He that is true. True. He that hath the key of David. Key of David. He that openeth. Open. And no man No man shutteth. And shutteth. Shutteth. And no man openeth. No man openeth. I know thy work. I know your work. Behold, I Behold. have set before I thee. set before thee. An open door. An open door. You and hold no it man can shut it. Hold it just a minute. I've set before you an open door. And no man can shut it. I know your works. I know how you love my name. I know how you have not denied my name. I know how you love my word. I was seeing this. I was hearing it. I know how you love my word. I know how you've not denied my name. I have set before you an open door. The door is open to the lovers of the word and the lovers of the name. It's open. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Don't go home to your church and tell your pastor, I don't have to obey the word of God. Don't do that. That's dangerous. Don't get the cocky, egotistical spirit preacher that you're the great one. You're just saved by the grace of God. Don't get the idea you can do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. You need a lot of others to help you get there. And there are those who have brought us to our day, the people that went before us that loved us enough to sit us down and talk to us about it. And I have had them do it to me. Son, don't do that. Don't let your church get away from you in the ways of prayer and seeking God and having modesty and loving truth. Hold on to it. Oh, yes, yes, your name is known in your city. The people adore you for your ability and talent. There are preachers in our cities that are 
restored by the people of their city because of their talent and their ability. But they're not the people that are going to take you into higher heights and deeper depths with God. They're watching to see if you're of the same effect as this other bunch who when they got popular thought they could do anything they wanted to and still have God's favor. I know your works and your ways. Read on, Brother Kilgore. For thou hast a little strength. You got a little strength. And hast kept my word. Kept my word. Hast not denied my denied name. Denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. Yes. Which say they are Jews Jew. and are not. They're not. But do lie. Yes. Behold. Yes. I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. I'll make them come worship and before your feet. And to know that I have loved thee. To know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I will, I also will keep thee I'm from the keep hour of from the hour of temptation. Which shall come upon all the world. Yes. To try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast uh, which thou hast. Hold fast with that thou. no man take no man thy crown. Take thy crown. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, praise God for truth. Praise God for truth. Praise God for his word. Praise God for his goodness. Praise God for his gifts. Praise God for his Holy Spirit. Praise God for his mercy. Don't forsake it. Don't get away from it. There's an open door there. It's open right now. He wants us to walk through that door because we've not denied his name and we've kept his word. We've got to walk through that door. We need to go to Russia tonight, a whole bunch of us, and preach to those suppressed people, once suppressed and dying, but now living and having an opportunity for freedom. No one knows when that door will close. He can open doors that no man can shut, and he can shut doors that no man can open. But we are living in a time when he does say, I'll give you a little space to repent. The last one, as I saw him stand outside the door of Laodicea, knocking, knocking. I wish I could come in. Would you let me come in? Would you let me come in? He's amongst the candlesticks, but somehow he's outside of Laodicea, knocking at the door. You said you increased and rich with good. You have need of nothing, but don't you know that you're what? You're wretched, and you're what? And you're naked, and you're what? You're blind. You don't know it. That's the worst part of it. You don't know it. I counsel of thee. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. But what is so sad? The creature knocking at the door of the Creator. When the Creator should be knocking at the door of the creature. Rather, 
the creature should be knocking at the door of the Creator. We should be knocking on heaven's door. Let me close. Please forgive my tears. What do you want to do with your Christian life? Do you want to grow into the fullness of the stature of the man Christ Jesus? Do you want to be like him? One of our preachers wrote that song. Sisterson, would you come to the piano? I want you to sing that old song. We knew the man that wrote it. This man married a second time in his life because his first wife died. When his first wife died, he was a lonely man, and so he sought another wife, and he married another wife. Sometimes the second choice is not as good as the first choice. And this time he picked a woman that in her church she was a very powerful rebel known by the pastor. The pastor even told this great preacher, great preacher, she's a rebel, but women have charms that attract men. And she attracted him. It's the worst thing that ever happened to L.R. Uten. L.R. Uten was a great preacher, a great singer. Brother, very cool, your dad knew him very well. Oh, how he could sing and how he could preach. You knew him, Brother Chambers. You knew Brother Tenney. I had him preach a funeral service one day. There was only four people in the funeral home where he preached it. He preached 45 minutes on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest things I ever heard in my life. I sat there with my mouth open. Just four people listening to him. He was telling about the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. He's a big, tall, stately man. But he married this woman. And she would openly rebel against him in the church. He asked her to close in prayer one night, and she said, I shan't. Just defied him. She loved to do it. Well, something good came out of it. Because he wrote this song. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like him. I think after he married her, God gave him the song. Because he had to live with her. Sing it. From Bethlehem's manger Came forth a stranger Oh, 
a few minutes more. I speak to the ministry. What areas do you want to grow? In what areas do you want to grow? Some more authority? You want more money? You want greater possession? You want greater admiration? You want more accolades? I watched him in my dream walk away from the people when they wanted to put him on their shoulders. He walked away. He knew the immaturity of such accolades. They bring nothing to us but a big head and a stuffy spirit. We need to be like him. You want to grow in the stature of the man of Christ Jesus. Preacher, do you want to grow in the man of into the stature of the man of Christ Jesus? Church, this is directed to the total church. He will never leave us or forsake us, he said so. But our whole promise of success. Stability and sweeping revival is to take another look at Jesus. Take another you to have compassion. The only compassion I've asked you. Only message I've ever given you. I'm a God of Israel. I shall redeem my people. They shall come forth as gold. And I'll stand in the midst of them. Moving if they won't. If they'll humble, and if they will not seek, the gods of Egypt will prevail. They will not have adultery. They'll humble themselves. They'll know that I'm their God. I'm truly with them.
somebody that you've had misunderstandings with and you'd make it right between you and God. I wish you would. Let's make this whole place an altar. There's not enough room up here. You can even let your seed and worship God. God bless you. God bless you. To be like Jesus. anything that God would have to say to us tonight. What a tremendous message. What a tremendous, tremendous that I need from this message. And you are praying and you are seemingly waiting, waiting. It's not like a mad rush to just a loud, boisterous type of ending, but there's a stillness to move. Oh, 
for you know all about the rituals. You know all about the forms. You know how to do it. You have been careful to keep the lamp clean and bright on the outside with a little thought of the move of the spirit on the inside. How you have polished it, you've shined it, and the world has taken notice that what beautiful instrument you have. But I am not looking for the beauty of the hammer's shell. I am looking for the moving of my spirit that will propel you, that will lead you and guide you. And when that happens, the beauty of the hour, the shine of the lamp will be so great until my move will overcome all the obstacles. You must now, you must now search yourself for my spirit doth hover and I want to pour myself afresh into your vessel. And when I pour myself into your vessel fresh, you will then be illuminated and the wick will not be without fire. It will be blazing for my spirit doth make the fire to blaze. Even now, lift up yourselves and lift up your hands and lift up your voices and let my spirit take out all that is not to be there. For I long to have you a burning flame of fire. Cleanse me, cleanse me, cleanse me, 
further develop the cause. We cannot go into the field of evangelism as we ought until we have the real unity of the Spirit. May we tonight somehow or another, I don't know how, but God knows how, be so unified. <laughs> so in unity one with another until our love will be so by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, and that you have love one for another. Oh. Take hold of somebody's hand. I'm not going to pull off, but oh. <laughs> Take hold of somebody in these closing moments. As we are holding on to somebody, naturally we must hold on to each other in the spirit. We must lift up the hands that are fallen. We must strengthen the knees, the feeble knees of the weak. 